Hello, hello. Thanks for listening this week. So today I'm going to dive into all about the pandemic and how it impacted women in their 20s and 30s. I think if you're listening, that's probably you. But this whole concept really became something I was interested in because I read an article in The Cut called The Pandemic Skip. And I shared about it on Instagram. Quite a few of you all read it and wanted me to talk about it this week. And essentially, if you haven't read the article, the author talks about how I think she was 27 when she went into the pandemic. She kind of really agreed that people younger than her had it more difficult or people that were older than her, like her mom struggled. We know that obviously parents struggled a lot. Caregivers struggled a lot. And I think a lot of us that, you know, were in this kind of settled downish phase when we were in our 20s or 30s felt like we were lucky. But now as we're coming out of it, we're kind of seeing some of the impacts that it had on our life. The author specifically said that she kind of went through the pandemic and all of a sudden people started asking her when she's getting married, is she freezing her eggs because she turned 30 during the pandemic? And it's been very discombobulating for her and she feels like her mind and her body are not the same. I obviously relate to this a lot and I'm going to get into it, but I want you to know I'm going to really dive into the research also of what this says. I'm going to talk a lot about memory on this podcast. I found some really interesting research about how memories are formed, what shapes how we remember things, what negatively impacts our ability to form memories and just some of the studies that have actually been done on people's memories during COVID that I'm going to dive into. I'm going to talk about friendship a lot. We know that friendship based on the research dramatically was something that changed most during the pandemic, and it still is having a lot of effects even after we're out of it. And really how our lives really changed. And I think we're all still reorienting to this new way of being. There are some things that are discarded. There are things that are new. There are things that are different. There are things that came back. And finally, as most episodes do, I'm going to conclude with answering your questions. So let's get into the episode. You're listening to the Recovered-ish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. I was 29 when the pandemic started. So I turned 30 during the pandemic, which was weird. But I also just feel like with a lot of my friends being around the same age as me and a lot of clients that I've worked with, this is something that's really common. And I've talked to quite a lot of you on Instagram. You've just said like you feel like you were really impacted by the pandemic and it feels like people aren't talking about that. So I thought this could be a good opportunity for us to go into depth and talk about this. You know, I remember when the pandemic started, I was so grateful I didn't have kids yet because I saw all of the stories and talked to my friends who did have kids, especially young kids, about how hard it was, whether you were homeschooling your kids, whether you just didn't have access to, you know, you're, you counted on daycare and you're trying to work and have kids at the same time. I mean, that sounded so difficult. I truly have so much compassion for you if that's what you went through. I have a six-month-old now and I have help and I could not be doing my job if I didn't have help. So, I mean, no wonder parents were so frustrated and felt like they were going out of their minds because it is impossible really to work full-time, especially if both partners will work full-time without help. 
So I just wanted to give that disclaimer because by no means am I saying that people who were single necessarily had it worse than parents. Um, you know, we know disproportionately there was a large group of people who were more impacted by the pandemic than others. And I think a lot of us maybe in our 20s and 30s who didn't have children or whatever felt pretty lucky when we went into the pandemic. And like the writer in the cut talked about, she is just kind of now realizing how these last few years have impacted her. And if you listen to the show, you probably fall into that camp of being a millennial woman. And I thought it would be a really great topic for us to explore, as I think it's not something that's been really widely talked about. In general, I think the competitiveness on the internet about who has something worse is super unhelpful. I think a lot of people already feel shame when they feel like things aren't as bad as other people. And one of the biggest things that really frustrates me on the internet is when someone is authentic and shares something that they're struggling with. And the comments a lot of times are, you're so lucky, you should be grateful. Well, what about this person? They had it worse or I had it worse than you. You shouldn't be talking about that. And that's just not how our brains work. We don't factor in when you're in your own experience, your own life. Yes, you can try to zoom out and think about the world or other people's perspectives or other people struggling more than you. But just because other people are struggling doesn't change your day-to-day life. It doesn't change what you're going through. And often even more so, just because you've struggled before doesn't even change your current perception. This is something that is probably the most common thing that I deal with when I'm working with clients, especially women, is people feel like they don't have a right to feel their pain. They don't have a right to feel how they feel and they feel shame about what they're going through. This shame almost creates a barrier between us and their emotions and us being able to do work. And shame kind of paralyzes them where they won't even allow themselves to get in touch with what's going on underneath because shame tells them that they're not allowed to feel how they feel. So often in my work, we have to spend a lot of time in session just dismantling that shame talking about why regardless of what they've been through or other people are going through, you're a human and you have a right to feel how you feel. So it really frustrates me on the internet when someone says something vulnerable and people shame them because a lot of times they already feel shame. And then to have someone else stir that back up in them again or say the things that they're already thinking in their head is completely unhelpful at best and harmful at worst. And I was disappointed when I did read this article. I looked at the comments to see just what people resonated with. And there were tons of comments just saying, be grateful. I had it worse or feel glad that you didn't die during the pandemic and all of that. And it's like, of course, of course, the author feels great. You know, this this had me thinking a lot about my own experience in pregnancy. And I know a lot of you all have asked me to share my pregnancy story. And I feel like this is connected to this pandemic skip idea. And it's also connected to what I'm talking about right now, because I am okay. I'm healthy. I don't have permanent complications from pregnancy or birth. And I'm lucky that my child is okay too. And I think that there is a big emphasis in our culture that if things turn out okay, you're not entitled to feel how you feel. And if we can think of a situation where someone else had it worse, you're not entitled to feel how you feel. And I think that's what's interesting with the pandemic is when The whole world goes through it. And of course, I'm not saying that some people didn't have it harder than others. People with privilege, obviously, were much less impacted by the pandemic. 
people who had the infrastructure, who had flexible jobs, who had savings, all of those things, who had their health, who weren't immunocompromised, absolutely were less impacted. And everyone was still impacted and people do have a right to feel impacted by it and process it. So the author coined this term, the pandemic skip, and she calls it the strange sensation that our bodies might be a step out of sync with our minds. And when I think about this in the context of being a human, life does tend to go faster as you get older. And obviously we know how much it impacted teens, it impacted kids so much, because if you think about how long they've been alive, the pandemic became a longer statistical portion of their life. And we know that's one of the reasons that people feel like time speeds up as they get older, because an hour when you're young, when you've only been alive a few years, is a statistically long portion of your life compared to when you've been alive 30, 40, 50, 60 years. An hour is a small amount of time. The other reason that we know that time tends to speed up when you get older is that there are less major life changes that happen. So if you think about how much change you go through from ages 15 to 20 or 20 to 25, those are huge changes, huge things that impact your life. For example, your career, whether you find a partner, whether you have children, typically all happen for most people between ages 20 to 30. So there's a lot of changes happening. Or when you get older, of course, you could get a divorce, you could have kids later, you could change your career later, but statistically it is less likely. So as a result, when you look back on your life, it's easier to kind of blur the lines and forget what's happened when days are more monotonous, when there are less anchoring events. So for example, during the pandemic, a lot of us didn't have regular holidays or regular events that happened every year, the rituals that we can count on. And while yes, of course, the holidays can bring up trauma, a lot of issues with family, they exacerbate mental health issues for sure. They're also a common thing, a ritual that happens that actually helps us mark time and create a sense of predictability when things are uncertain. And then when we don't have those, it impacts how we understand and remember our lives. So if you are hearing everything that I'm saying and you're relating to it and feeling like you could really use some more support because your mental health has been impacted by the pandemic, my therapy practice Therapy for Women Center is accepting new clients. We have therapists licensed in 27 states across the country if you're interested in teletherapy. Or if you're local to the Philadelphia area, we have three offices there. If your kids are struggling with the pandemic, which we know kids really negatively were impacted by being out of school and you live in the Pennsylvania area, we just opened our sister practice, Therapy for Kids, which sees children ages five and up. And we have specialized pediatric therapists who specialize in working with kids and adolescents. To learn more, you can visit our website, therapyforwomencenter.com or therapyforkids.com. To make our perception of time even more messed up, we know that when people struggle with mental health issues like depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, that also negatively impacts our sense of time. And it can cause you to not remember more like in very much detail or at all periods of your life. When you have mental health issues, we also know that this impacts your ability to form new memories, and it also impacts your sense of time. If you're miserable and struggling, hours can feel like days, and there is a very real phenomenon of the idea that time flies when you're having fun. And then, of course, time slows down and crawls when you're miserable and struggling with your mental health. 
Or as Taylor Swift says, time won't fly. It's like I'm paralyzed by it. We know from research when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, it becomes hard for your brain to discern time. So when you have something that changes your routine, like a holiday, it helps you make sense of that. It's why when people are talking about years, often they will use an event such as a holiday or when they got married or the birth of their child, a very big event, something that's very outside of the norm for them. So I'm talking about all of this because when the pandemic happened, their lives completely changed, but they also became very monotonous. We all were working from home. A lot of those day-to-day things that kind of punctuated your day that you were used to changed. A lot of people didn't leave the house. There was a lot of blurring between working and the end of the day and the rituals that kind of punctuated all of our days dissolved. Now, of course, there were benefits to a lot of this. It's why a lot of people love working from home now and things have changed. You save time, but it's also impacted our sense of time. And a lot of people, I think, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, had this strange experience where they felt like time was so slow And then all of a sudden time became faster. And now we look back and it's like, oh, it's been two years. It's been three years. The pandemic has totally warped our sense of time because some parts of it really slowed down time. And then other parts that punctuated our memories, like holidays, we didn't maybe get to do normally. So it almost feels like time was like this pretzel in some ways, because at the same time, time sped up, but it also slowed down. It slowed down in the ways that we talked about, like how monotonous things were, how these anchoring points and these differential experiences in our lives we didn't have. But at the same time, so much happened in 2020. I literally read an article that said all these things happened in 2020 and I had to keep rechecking them because I didn't believe them. Let me go through some of them. At the beginning of 2020, Harry and Meghan left the royal family. Kobe Bryant died. Then, you know, when lockdown started, we joined TikTok and household names like Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Rae, literally before then, before TikTok, they were unknown. We had the Black Lives Matter protests. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. In 2020, Joe Biden was elected president, which, I mean, obviously he didn't take over until January, but he was elected before that. And somehow my brain couldn't compute that, that all these things happened in one year. It's crazy to me. We got the first COVID vaccine that year. But at the same time, our brains remember things in terms of places and events. So when your life is monotonous, you literally have less places in your brain to remember. So time feels more slow. It's why when you come back from vacation, if you've been to like a few places or you did a bunch of different things, it feels like you were away longer than if you just stayed home and just continued your routine. A good example I can think of is there are places that I've been to for a few hours, but I have vivid memories. Like I went on a cruise once to Santorini and I was there for only a few hours, but I felt like I have so many memories from there because I did different things. I went to restaurants. It was new. It was exciting. I explored as much as I could in those few hours that it felt like I'd been there so long where in other moments of my life, a few hours can go by without notice. Nothing happened. A three-day vacation can feel really long compared to a three-day long weekend if you just spend it at home. So this is a huge reason why our perception of time is just warped. I keep thinking about the idea of if you've watched The Good Place, time in the afterlife is like Jeremy Baramy. Time in the afterlife moves in a Jeremy Baramy. What? 
the afterlife time doubles back and loops around and ends up looking something like Jeremy Baramy. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about the pandemic. And as I've been talking about this also on Instagram, a lot of people are like, like, why are people just talking about this now? We've been out of lockdown for a while. And I think part of it is because we also didn't have any closure to the pandemic. So there was never really this collective moment where the pandemic was declared over, where we were given free permission to celebrate and be excited about it. Everything was very slow and a hesitation. And we'll see, but we may have to take a couple steps forward and take a couple steps back. And even though we have had quite a long time not being locked down, there have been bouts of COVID that happened. There have been different outbreaks that have happened. So there's been no collective agreement of the pandemic starting, ending, and now we can move on because we don't know what the future looks like. We still don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. We also don't know what the future holds in terms of people have said there's going to be like an age of pandemics and there's going to be more pandemics that happen in the future. So it makes it really difficult to understand what happened to us, to move on, and to make sense of it all. Like, I remember the closest I felt somewhat to a sense of celebration was when Joe Biden was declared the president-elect. And in Philadelphia, people just took to the streets and just danced and celebrated for hours. It was a very interesting, cool experience. But it is just, I can't wrap my head around the fact that in that same year, I was on my honeymoon at the very beginning of 2020 in January. And then at the end that was like how the year kind of ended. I wasn't with my family on Christmas in 2020. And then when we look back on it, I think it feels like a long time ago, but also it was recent. And it's just like our total understanding of time has been really messed up because of that. And we actually have research that literally says that this phenomenon has negatively impacted how we understand time. And then on top of all of this, we also have research studies that have been conducted that have interviewed people about their experiences with COVID, which has also proven how much it's negatively impacted our perception of time. The farther away from something you get, the harder it is for your brain to tell the difference and orient itself on the timeline of something. And one of the things they found in the study was that it was consistent that people struggled to remember five or 10 years ago, but normally the last few years of your life, you should be able to have a pretty good understanding of the timeline of your life a few years ago. But because of the pandemic, people had really a really poor perception of what's happened the past few years. The findings are so severe. They're actually consistent with prison inmates because prison inmates often have errors in their perception and struggle with timeline because they feel, I mean, it makes sense when you're in prison, life is kind of going on outside around you, but you are essentially stuck physically and mentally in a different place and you leave prison and you have to reorient yourself to what's happened in the world. But I think there is something to be said for this early adulthood that isn't totally being talked about. It's something I'm seeing a lot in my practice that mostly specializes in working with women in their 20s and early 30s. Time felt paused during the pandemic and people are still processing what happened. I know for myself, I relate to that a lot because I got married right before the pandemic. My plan with my husband 
we were going to travel, we were going to enjoy our lives. We had plans for the first few years of our marriage that we wanted to do before we got pregnant and we had children. And then the pandemic happened and those plans were put on pause. And then you come out of the pandemic and I had a moment of being like, oh my gosh, I'm 31, I'm 32. Now I have to figure this out. The time that I was counting on didn't happen. And right after the pandemic and we had our first kind of trip, I remember us talking and thinking about how long should we wait? Should we try to travel over the next couple of years? Should we just try to get pregnant and see if it happens? I, based on what I had heard, based on my own family's history, I'd assumed it would take me a bit of time to get pregnant. So we decided to try because my husband is four years older than me. And then I got pregnant immediately. So it feels very much for me like I somehow had three and a half, four years of my life go by and I got married and then I blinked and now I have a child after postpartum. So I'm very lucky, obviously, that I had a child and that she's healthy and that I was able to get pregnant. I'm not trying to take that away from anyone. I'm just saying that I think that a lot of people relate to this experience. I know a lot of women who when they were in the pandemic, they did just decide to go forward because they didn't know what was going to happen. So they decided to try to have children and their life is completely different. And I think that a lot of us that are in our 20s or in our 30s during the pandemic, or maybe we didn't have kids, we felt like we were in an advantageous position. Maybe you had settled down and you had a partner. Things were a little bit more stable for you and you felt very lucky during the pandemic, which I absolutely felt. And I think some of this is just coming out of it and recognizing how much you were impacted by it because you've lost a few years of your life, especially years in your 20s and 30s are very critical years in terms of your development. So while I think it's very important that we obviously focused on parents and teachers and caregivers and young kids and teens during that time, I think we're just now also looking at and recognizing that people in their 20s and 30s were also really impacted by the pandemic as well. I think it's also easy to forget that there were many people who were completely single during the pandemic. They lived alone. People who live alone typically structure their life in a way that they see a lot of people, even if they live alone. They spend a lot of time at work. Maybe they live in a city often where they spend time in public spaces. Even if they're not directly interacting with someone, they often go to the gym. They go to coffee shops. They go out to dinner. They meet up with friends. They see family And spending that much time just by yourself has a significant negative impact on your mental health. And there were a lot of people in their 20s who did live alone, didn't have a partner, and they experienced a really intense level of isolation. As humans, we are wired to need people. Even if you are the most introverted introvert, you still need that human connection. And especially when you're in distress, we naturally seek out people because co-regulation Being in just someone's presence has a really important impact on our nervous system and our ability to regulate our emotions. It's one of the best things you can do for your mental health is literally just spend time in the presence of someone else. So as I said earlier, there hasn't been any closure for the pandemic. There hasn't been a ritual we've engaged in. There hasn't been any sort of collective agreement that the pandemic is over. For many people, the pandemic might not be over and it may have fundamentally changed their lives in ways that they feel like they can't ever go back. I think it's important to recognize whenever you go through a trauma or something really difficult, you can never go back to the person that you were before. 
you are changed by what you went through and you move forward with it, but you're not just done with it. You don't just process any kind of grief and then move on. You hold it with you and allow it to change you as you move forward. There's a really beautiful graphic on Instagram that I saw once that describes how grief doesn't get smaller, but your life gets bigger, which is how grief doesn't take over or feel like it's taking over your whole life as much. But the grief in itself doesn't get smaller. And I think that's a really powerful metaphor, especially when we're talking about grief. There were millions of people that died, and I think that we can't really have this episode without acknowledging that people listening may literally have had loved ones die or be dealing with other types of grief like I'm talking about, which is grief over the end of your 20s, grief over maybe the beginning of your kids' lives that you felt you weren't present for, grief over losing friends. I mean, I think friendship loss was something that is so huge that isn't being talked about. I read an article that said entire categories of friendship were eliminated during the pandemic because we had a lot of social structures and a lot of friendships that revolved around going to work, meeting someone for coffee, going to the gym, meeting up at this specific place, a neighbor, maybe you moved, right? All these structures that kind of disappeared when we weren't leaving the house and people really lost a lot of acquaintances. And there's also been studies that have been done that have said that um, people don't have as many friends as they used to. In 2018, they did a study and right even pre-pandemic, 30 years ago, 33% of adults reported that they had 10 or more close friends. Now only 13% of people say that. So we already know that the amount of friends we have is is down, but then the pandemic made that much worse. And they did a study in 2021 comparing men and women and how they were impacted by friendships during the pandemic. And by a big proportion, women were more impacted than men. They lost more friends during the pandemic. And also young women were much more impacted. And another thing that happened that research has shown is that essentially Because of lockdown, it seems like there was this phenomenon that researchers call relationship funneling, which is essentially where certain friendships were really prioritized and maybe even were strengthened during the pandemic, while others were deprioritized or fizzled out. So some of the ones that may have been deprioritized were people that were more acquaintances, people that were work friends, people that maybe you were connected to because of where you lived or other factors that didn't apply once you went into lockdown, where people that you were closer with, maybe your family, people that you also were connected to and you had similar beliefs about the pandemic as, you were much more likely to be connected to essentially. Because another big thing that's happened during the pandemic is because the pandemic impacted people so differently and people had such differing and even polarizing beliefs about it, it did really hurt friendships and even tear apart families in some cases. It's also important to note that people who were single, people who had social anxiety, people who were immunocompromised, these people really were more vulnerable to lose friends and also people that were in like transitions. If you think about people who maybe just started having kids, people who 
um, maybe they were just starting school or trying to finish up school or they had just done that and were in a new environment or had just moved somewhere, they were also much more likely to be lonely, to be disconnected during the pandemic and to be negatively impacted by it. So as I'm thinking about women, especially millennial women, which is what the episode is talking about and how we were impacted by the pandemic and what that author was talking about in that article, the word that keeps coming to my mind is ambiguous loss. A lot of us lost things that we didn't know we were losing at the time uh, that are just ambiguous, that don't really have a clear definitive end. And I wanted to just break down what the word ambiguous loss is so that you can kind of understand this a little bit better. So ambiguous loss is a person's loss and sadness that isn't associated with death. This is also the same concept. I've talked about it on Instagram before where you can grieve something even if it's not death. You can grieve the loss of a relationship. You can grieve the loss of you know, a career or you can grieve the fact that you've made a different decision in life, for example. Often with this type of loss, there isn't a sense of closure. So that really prevents us from being able to move on. That's a big thing that happened during the pandemic is there wasn't an identified end. We couldn't all kind of move on from it. So as we're looking at this, and a lot of you all asked me, and I'm going to answer some questions in a second, how do we deal with ambiguous loss? How do we deal with what's happened to us? How do we process this? One of the best things that we can start to do is recognizing that this has been a loss, recognizing that you may have missed years of your life, recognizing that you may not feel the same age as you are. And everyone during this has lost something and everyone deserves a space to grieve and work through what they've lost. Even if other people have had it harder, you still have a right to grieve what you've been through and what you've personally lost. The other thing we need to start working on is working on our tolerance for ambiguity and uncertainty. One of the biggest things that the pandemic really demonstrated was how uncertain life is, how fragile life is, which is absolutely terrifying. But it also shows us that this idea that things are able to be controlled, this idea that things are predictable is not really true. And it is kind of this fallacy that humans tend to fall into. So as much as we can, trying to practice and remind ourselves that we are not in total control of things and as much as possible, trying to increase our tolerance for distress. I'm a really big fan of something in dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT called uh, distress tolerance skills, where we actively learn mindfulness skills. We actively learn ways to deal with being in distress, being uncomfortable, not being in control. And if you can work on some of that, in addition to giving yourself space to grieve, you're going to be in a much better position. All right, let's get into some questions. So one of you all asked me, why have so many people stayed in their COVID caves? It seems like so many people are antisocial. Great question. I think this is something that is happening. It's something that I've seen personally and professionally. I mean, I want to obviously caveat this by saying everyone has different levels of comfort. There are people who are still immunocompromised that are struggling. So that's not exactly what I'm talking about. But I do agree with what you were saying about 
feeling like people are antisocial. I think one thing that has happened is a lot more people have anxiety about leaving their house, about being in crowds, about doing things. I think we were never as clear about how, for a lot of us, we never thought about germs so much as we did during COVID. And I think that's definitely stayed with some people and impacted them. I think for a lot of people, they may have actually developed generalized anxiety disorder during the pandemic. And they're very nervous and a lot more anxious about doing different things. They think about the spread of disease a lot more and that impacts them. The other way that anxiety can impact us is I think a lot of people are already prone to social anxiety. And then if you take them out of their normal social habits and environment, it can be really hard to get back to where they were. I think it's important to understand with anxiety, we actually, if we are prone to anxiety, we actually have to take opposite action in order to work through it. We can't think our way out of social anxiety. And what happens is when someone is anxious about, let's say, going to a party, if they cancel and then they don't go, they temporarily feel better. But the problem is, is then your brain learns, oh, canceling is what makes me feel better. So I shouldn't go to these things. If you went to the party, you would also feel better after going because we often build it up in our heads as much scarier than it is when we actually go. So I think people who already had social anxiety or were prone to it because they've been out of the habit of going to events, leaving their house, doing things, they're a lot more sensitive to that anxiety when they leave and they don't recognize that they could actually work through it if they wanted to. At the same time, I think some people also had their priorities change. I think some people realized what a waste of time that I spent so much time, you know, going into the office. I think other people were like, why would I ever go to a coffee shop when I can have coffee at home? I think working from home is very valid. It saves people a lot of time. Companies have adapted and that's great. And some people have really recognized what is worth it and what isn't. So I think for some people, like they're Going into the office, you know, they may not get a lot out of it, so that's not worth it. Or going to lunch with a friend, maybe it's too complicated to do, but maybe doing something, you know, bigger that has more of an impact positively on their life is worth it. So I would, my tip would also just be to have maybe conversations with some of your friends, ask them what their comfort level is, what is important to them. They may not want to just pop over and have a short little meetup, but they may be more interested in doing something that you get to spend more time together. It's hard to know, but I do think that this is a shift that's happened and it's something where you also have a right to choose what you want to do. And if you don't have enough friends that are interested in going out and doing things with you, you also have a right to meet people who are more like-minded. All right, let's get into the next question. Quite a few of you all asked me that you still feel distance from some people. You would like to be closer to them again. You still feel like your relationship is still disconnected, even though it's been a while. And what do you do? I think the first thing you could do is you could reach out to that person and just say it. I think a lot of times we don't say the thing that we want to say because we can feel like it's not appropriate to say. And you don't know that person could be feeling the same disconnection with you as you are feeling with them. If it's appropriate, I would reach out. I would say, hey, I miss you. I miss the things we used to do before lockdown. 
I miss our relationship. I would love to see you and plan a time to meet up with them. Or if their comfort level around meeting up has changed, ask them what they're comfortable with. Say something like, hey, I know it's been a while. You know, like I miss you. Let me know what you feel comfortable with these days. Would you rather us like go for a walk outside? What's your comfort level? And can we still do something together and spend time together? In general, what I can say as someone who sees clients and tends to see different themes, a lot of times when someone feels one thing, other people feel it too. And it's just about who's brave enough to be honest and have that kind of conversation. Often if you feel disconnected from someone, they feel that disconnect too. And they also may be sitting here feeling like, I don't know how to broach it. I don't know how to get close to them again. But with anything, I think you can treat you know, getting close to a friend again in the same way that you can treat making a new friend, except it's a little bit easier because you already have that foundation. It's one of the reasons with friendship, this is an aside, that you actually, it's much easier if you're trying to make new friends. One of the best things you can do is actually look at your connections and look at who is maybe an acquaintance or someone you know, and you can work on getting closer to them rather than starting from scratch. But I would be honest, I would tell them you miss them and go from there. And if they don't respond or it's weird, then at least you know where things stand and you can kind of move on from that relationship. And then someone asked me, why is it so hard to return to pre-pandemic activity, meeting with friends? I used to do so much more and now I'm not motivated. I think that we've gotten out of the habit for one. I think that our lives have changed a lot. And if you are out of the habit of doing something, it is going to be much harder to start doing it again. Starting a new habit is so much harder than continuing a habit. And a lot of us are out of the habit of leaving our houses, of maybe going out to dinner, of seeing friends. Other people are out of that habit too. So then when you're trying to balance schedules and trying to meet up with people, it's that much harder. If you are prone to anxiety, you're also prone to your brain tricking you and saying things like, oh, it's it's easier to cancel. You don't miss it that much. What a hassle, you know, getting dressed, getting out of the house, driving to go meet someone, hanging out for an hour, coming home, getting undressed, doing the whole rigmarole. It's really easy if you're just spinning in your mind to act like, you know, an hour of time with someone or a few hours is not worth the hassle, especially... As I know now, having kids, it is so difficult with that, but I think that's where you have to remind yourself of how you often feel after you've done something. If we're just thinking about our initial reaction to doing something, it's often not what is always best for us. I know for myself, I don't often always want to, you know, go for a walk outside, drink water, take a break during the day, go to sleep at night, doing these things that I know are good for me. And I think we have to start looking at social interaction as also something that is good for us. It's a part of our self-care and really also looking at and prioritizing friendship. We actually know based on research that Having fulfilling relationships in your life is one of the best predictors of being fulfilled, and it's something that people really look back on when they look at the end of their life as something they wish they would have spent more time doing. So yes, maybe if you're looking at how many hours or how much effort it takes to leave the house to meet a friend, it may not seem worth it on the surface, 
but you have to think about how you're investing in this relationship and you're investing in this person that is going to be connected to you even when you're not directly meeting with them. You are like watering a plant that is going to grow more and more later. So while you're losing something maybe by the time and the energy, you are actually getting that energy back in the form of a friendship that you're nurturing. And I just think in general, if you've listened to my podcast, you know how passionate I am about friendships. I had a great episode with Danielle Jackson, who is a friendship expert who came on. We talked all about this of just especially female friendships, it is just so important that we prioritize our female friendships. It is so important for our mental health. Friendship is an important aspect of self-care. And I think a lot of us are feeling disconnected. And I would encourage you to try to use this time to really dive in and make new friends, reconnect with old ones and start over. I mean, I know that it is so anxiety producing. It is something I am dealing with myself. And I just want to say you're not alone with that. I had hundreds of people saying this in the question box when I asked this. So just remember that you're, it's not just about the immediate impact of seeing a friend. It's about nurturing this potential friendship that will serve you for years to come. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope at the very least you feel less alone. You feel less crazy. You feel more like there are words that will be able to capture your experience. A lot of you all wrote to me and said you feel alone and you feel disconnected. You feel like you don't know how to process what happened to you. You feel like you've missed your kids' lives at the beginning, the few years that you first had them. You feel like you missed the end of your 20s or you missed the prime years of your life. And it is so common. It's why I wanted to do an episode on this because we're not talking about it. And I hope as I broke down some of the research, I hope as I talked about how memories are formed and how it maybe impacted you, you have more compassion for yourself. You have words to understand your experience and you can start to give yourself permission to grieve. Quite a few of you asked me, what do I do? How do I start working through this? I feel like a different person now. And the first step is acknowledging it. And from there, you can start to create space to allow yourself to feel your feelings so you can start working through this. We are probably never going to have closure to this, but all we can do is give ourselves compassion, honor how we feel, and start taking steps forward to take care of ourselves and connect with other people who feel the same way. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country.